So yeah, we're in week three of, of this season on seasons and, um, you know, when life seems unfair, and I can probably guarantee that every one of us in this room has, has had seasons or maybe in a season where you just think, oh, this isn't fair. What's happening to me or what's happened to me or what I see happening to other people, you know, it's, it's just not fair. And the truth is we all want it to be fair. We all really want it to be fair. And, um, and when we turn to look at God, there are probably three questions that we ask that sometimes we don't dare ask or we don't verbalize out loud, and, but we think them. We think them, they're in our heads and we carry them with us. And, um, and these are the three questions really. Where are you when stuff is going on for me? So basically we're asking, is God hidden? Why aren't you talking about it or talking to me or telling me stuff about what's going on in my life? That's a bit like, you know, is God silent? And then what can often happen is those two questions can lead us to ask the third one, which is about, this is just so unfair. Why is this so unfair? Why is this happening to me? Why am I finding myself in this situation through no fault of my own, maybe? We're just here. And actually, I want to suggest to you this morning that what we're really asking is this. When we say, why is life unfair? What we're actually saying is, God, why are you so unfair? Why are you so unfair? And this may come as somewhat a surprise to you this morning, but, um, but the Bible is full of life being unfair. And I've just written a couple of things down here. And I could, I could write 30 or 40, 50, 60 things down, but here's just a few I've picked out. Um, so the very first family in the Bible, Adam and Eve, how about the mother that had to see her one son murder the other one? How unfair was that? How about Jacob working for seven years to marry the woman he absolutely adored and besotted with? And at the last moment, his new father-in-law switches the women over. He marries the daughter that he doesn't love, then has to work another seven years to actually get with the girl that he really does love. How unfair was that? Joseph, sold into slavery, went to prison for a crime he didn't commit. I said, that was pretty unfair. There's a guy called Naboth in the Bible, um, and his story is about he had a beautiful vineyard, and um, he had a great business, I suppose you could say, and then because a person wanted it, they killed him. He didn't do anything to deserve that. And you can go on and on and on and on, right up until Jesus and maybe past him in the Bible where we celebrated this a few weeks ago over Easter where he got arrested for nothing and then we know how that story ends. And why am I mentioning all these things? I'm mentioning all these things because we need to understand and be on the same page right from the beginning this morning which is to realise this inexhaustible truth which is the Bible never once says that life is going to be fair. You will never find that statement in the Bible that life is going to be fair. And in fact, I find that the Bible presents me often with this perspective of human life that is not fair. It's stacked against us. Sometimes it's constantly frustrating and often can seem pointless. Life isn't fair. So what should our question be this morning? Well, there's a bigger question in that. And the question is this, how am I going to respond to what happens in my life? How am I going to respond to what happens in my life? And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I don't think I'm going to give you an answer this morning because 
Thousands of years is written in a book for me where people have been asking that same question and prompting God on that same question. And if the Bible has shown people's struggles for thousands of years, I've got to tell you, it's highly unlikely I'm going to give her the answer this morning. I'm not that wise. But what I'm hoping for, what I'm hoping for is that I can give us some very good reasons to trust in the character of God. And you may not even know whether you believe in him this morning. You may not even know where you stand on that. But I hope when you leave this place, you'll have something to think about that challenges that thought about what you believe in God. So why do we think God should make life fair for us? Why do I think God should make life fair for me? Because I have this instinctive idea, you know, that, that God should make life fair for good people. Good things should happen to good people. And what, so why doesn't it? And Philip Yancey, this great Christian author, makes this statement and he says, we still expect a God of love and power to follow certain rules on earth, so why doesn't he? Why doesn't he? And there's some possible answers over my life and my Christian experience that I've wrestled with and I've even believed at times. And these are the ones that I've gone through. You may have others, but these are the ones that I've gone through. The first possible answer to this is, well, there's no God at all, is there? God just doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. And this is often the response we have when the life isn't going the way we would have wanted it to go. Forget God. If bad things happen to good people, he can't exist, can he? He just can't exist. Well, there's a flaw in that argument for me, and it's this very basic flaw, is that if, if I'm considering whether God is fair or not, then actually, I'm indicating that I think he exists. So there has to be a God. But the second reason is this then. If there is a God, maybe he's so weak that he hasn't got enough power to change any of the circumstances that I find myself in. Yes, he loves me. He's full of love, but he's just not powerful enough. You know, God hates the injustice and the suffering that he sees in our world but he simply cannot change the circumstance. An atheist wrote this, why doesn't your weak God resign and let someone more competent take his place? Here's my flaw with this one. When I look at our universe, at its diversity, at the incredible things that go on, that says to me, there's a God of real power out there. There's a God of real power out there. So maybe it all just balances out in the end. You know, maybe if I wait long enough, Jane, I'll get some good stuff. Because I've gone through some really rubbish things, so my time has come now for some good stuff. Let me tell you something about that. Hindu karma, I found this out a couple of weeks ago, says it might take up to 6.8 million incarnations to realise perfect justice. I haven't got that long. 6.8 million times. That is not a comfort to me. There has to be something realer than that. There has to be a better answer. So how about this one? And this is the one I've done and I've fallen into and I could still fall into. There's no problem here. And what do I mean by that? It's a well-meaning Christian approach. It's when people say to you, there's a reason for all this suffering in your life. Who's had that said to them? How comforting was it at the time? Or 
Another good one is, and this is one I've said to my shame too many times, God, I think God's trying to teach you something through this. They're all well-meaning things. And maybe, maybe it's true. But and we say them out of good intentions and good motives. But we say them, I would suggest, when we don't know what to say, but we feel we should say something. And you know what I've learned? And I wish I'd learned quicker. Sometimes it's best sometimes to say nothing. And just be with the person. And sit with the person. And let them be how they need to be. Without me trying to find and give them a reason for it. Because the truth is, there may just not be one. So there's one more possibility, and this is the one I try and lean into when life isn't fair, and it's this. Life is not fair, but my God is good. Life is not fair, but my God is good. Because my life is made up of everything that happens to me or hits me. And life is the business, guys, of living in this world where evil and injustice are very much alive. And this great Christian author called R.H. Shuler wrote this. He said, place the blame where it belongs, on the facts of life, not on the acts of God. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? And I'll tell you why it is. Because you seem to pray, and when you pray, stuff seems to happen. But when I pray, God doesn't seem to do anything for me. So what is it about you? Have you got this direct connection to God, and God seems to be pitching up and doing all this stuff? And God, it seems like you could do something, but you won't. And we have trouble when the things that we see don't line up with the things that we believe. When the things that we see don't line up with the things that we believe. So let's put this into process and put it into somebody's life. And we're going to look at this guy, a guy called Habakkuk. And it's a really small book in the Old Testament, but it's a whole book that he, that's about him and what he's, his dialogue with God. And we don't know much about him. We know he's one of the 12 minor prophets, as the Bible calls them. And we know least about him of all. You know, he was most likely a temple musician who became a priest, who then became a prophet. And what's a prophet? It's someone who would speak on behalf of God. And the brilliant thing about this book is, if you read it, is that he's openly questioning the working of God. Openly questioning the working of God. He sees the injustice among the people that he's in. He sees the evil going on in his world. And he asks this of God. He says, why God, aren't you taking any action? Why aren't you doing anything? In fact, he says this. He says, how long will I cry and you will not hear? How long do I have to cry out, God? You're not hearing me. He lived at a time when there was so much evil going on. There was so much injustice. Evil was thriving and it was all out in the open. Nothing was hidden when Habakkuk was there. It was all out in the open. Everybody could see what was going on. But God remained strangely silent. Where was he? And how long would he allow this mess to continue? Habakkuk is a picture of a very frustrated man. A very frustrated man. There's a pastor some of you may have heard of. His name's Craig Grishel. And he, he makes these three uh, observations about Habakkuk. And he says, Habakkuk has three major problems with God. Number one is this. You don't seem to care. I'm looking at my world. I'm looking at what you're doing amongst my people. 
I'm supposed to be speaking out for you here, but honestly, God, you're not seem to be caring too much about what's going on at the moment. And then he has this second problem, and you aren't doing much when you could do. So there's a little bit of respect there. There's a little bit of understanding. It's like, God, I know you could. You're all powerful. I believe you could. I just don't know why you won't. And I think some of us have been in that place where we know that God is powerful and we just don't understand why we feel he's not doing anything. And then his third issue is this. And what you are doing doesn't seem very fair at all. In other words, if I was in your shoes, God, I wouldn't be doing that. They wouldn't be the decisions I'd be making. I'd do things totally differently. And we say this, don't we? God, I don't like the way you're doing this. So I'm opting out. But the interesting thing about Habakkuk's name is this. His name means to embrace or to wrestle. And he wrestled with God. And he embraced God through some difficult times in his life. So when we say, God, I don't understand, sometimes we can feel really guilty about that and we can punish ourselves for even having those thoughts. Is it even appropriate for me, God, to question you? Is it even appropriate for me to say, I don't get what you're doing? Is it appropriate for me to be angry? Is it appropriate for me to even question and, and have a conversation with you about what's going on in my world and in my life? Well, let's get one thing straight this morning. And I'm really, really clear about this. There are times when questioning God becomes a significant part of your faith journey. Honest questions before God have definitely become an important part of mine and Russ's experience in our life. And we're still here to tell the tale. We've had some really honest conversations. But we're still following Jesus. So what do you do when you see with your eyes something different than what you're believing with your heart? There's a guy called Henry Blackerbean. He calls these moments crisis of belief. It's almost like I was trusting you, but now I see what I see. It appears very different to what I thought. It challenges my thinking. So to be honest, I'm not sure what I believe right now. And that could be you this morning. You could be sitting thinking, I have no idea what I believe about this right now. I don't even know what I believe about God right now. I don't even know whether you are who you say you are. And when we get to these crises, people typically go in two directions. So there's either direction number one, where you deny it's going on. You deny the reality of what's going on in your life because you want to still live in this lovely place where everything was great, everything was rosy, the sea was smooth, everything came to you, it was all calm and lovely, and you're longing to get back to there. But the problem is you're here. You're here. In that moment, in that circumstance, in that experience... So then the flip side of that is you get mad. You get mad and you say, I thought this about you, God, but you're not, so forget it. Forget Life Central. Forget life groups. Forget coming to church. Forget you, God. And what we're saying when we do that is this. If this is how it's going to be, if this is how it's going to be and you're not going to do what I thought you were going to do, then you're not who I thought you were. If you're not going to do what I thought you were going to do, then you can't be who you say you are. I want to suggest the third path to you this morning. We could choose to go a different direction. And it's a difficult road. And it's this one. God, but I'm still going to trust you. 
And it doesn't mean things are going to get better first. In fact, often it gets worse and it may get more painful and you even have more faith struggles. But I want to assure you of something. If you embrace God and hold on to him, no matter what your world is around you, no matter what your circumstances, sometimes no matter what well-meaning people say to you, he will take you on a faith journey of such intimacy and trust and security you never dreamed it possible. You never dreamed it possible. And probably everybody I know who has that real close intimacy with God has been on that season, has been on that journey. And we look at them and go, I want what you've got. How, how are you still in there? How are you still in the game? And the truth is what's happened is they've had such a season of shaking and on a journey of shaking, it's made their foundations even more secure and even more safe and even more certain. And some of you would sit in here and you'd say, well, Jane, I don't, know what to write. I don't know what to believe right now about my life and what's going on. Well, in the first chapter of Habakkuk, we find him doing exactly that. And doing exactly what a lot of us may be doing this morning, which is wondering. We're wondering. You want to believe what you've got so many questions. Can you still be a deeply committed Christian with a lot of questions. Yes, you can. A deeply committed Christian can express simultaneously questions and faith. Questions and faith. I can believe God and yet still be a little bit unsure. Really? You say to me? Really? Let's check it out then. If we go to Mark chapter 9, there's a great story where a guy has challenges with his son. He goes to Jesus. He knows Jesus can help him. And this is their conversation. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Here's the killer statement. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. God, I believe, but it's difficult. That's okay. That's okay. But then what often happens is this. So we've been wondering, we've got ourselves through that, that period, and then this is what often happens. could drag this on and make it even more painful it's we wait we sit around we stand around and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait so what do you do then when you're struggling and you know, you know God could do something but he's not and it just doesn't seem fair and life doesn't make sense Well, this great guy called Craig Rochelle has some three insights into this that couldn't say any better than I could, so I've nicked his. So this is his stuff, this next bit. First thing is we stop and listen. You know, Habakkuk says, I will look to see what God would say to me. What often happens is, though, I'm whinging and complaining so much, and then I just go straight on carrying on with my life regardless. 
I don't even give God an opportunity to say anything because I'm and it's this and it's that and why is this happening and why is this so unfair and then I'm still going through my day I'm still going through my life and God even has a moment to go would you just stop Jane just stop and see what I'm going to say to you God is relational he does speak it may not always be through the Bible although that's a great place to start it's through people It's through other people's circumstances. It's through something you might see as you're driving to work. God will speak to you. I just might not like what he says. I'm being honest. So we stop and listen. The second thing is, you record what God shows you. Why do we write stuff down? So I'll remember. I've got the brain of a goldfish sometimes. And if I don't write stuff down, when God does something, I can't even remember he said he was going to do it. It's a faith builder. It's a mountain mover. It's something that brings me and God closer together. I need something to measure it to. And the third thing is, we wait. We hate waiting. We want movement, not silence. You know, God's delays are not God's denials. And we get those two so confused sometimes. And again, there's loads of examples in the Bible of where people had to wait for things God had said was going to happen. And sometimes it was years later when it did. Don't be a waiter. Don't be a sit around on a chair with your arms crossed looking at your watch thinking, God, when are you coming? Be a waiter. Put a white towel over your arm. It changes the meaning of the word straight away, doesn't it? Keep serving. Stay connected. Get involved. But even after all of this, you could still say to me, do you know what, Jane, that's great for Habakkuk Bride. I know who he is. I've no connection to him. It's not my life story. It's a name in a book. It doesn't jump out at me. It doesn't connect with my life. Well, let's hear an up-to-date story of somebody that most of you probably know. You may even have sat by him in this church. This is David's story. I was brought up uh, in Bromsgrove and I attended a boarding school in Bromsgrove. We had to go to church seven days a week. When I left school, I became a policeman. Uh, and the policeman is, goes through various things. You deal with all sorts of problems and you, do, you know, you're actually mixed with criminals and what have you. I was a detective in Hales Owen at one stage. Um, and I get it. I guess I just grew away from God. It wasn't, he wasn't necessary part of my life anymore. I got married and I had two children. And one of my children had got two very rare diseases. And it wasn't until my son went into, when we knew he was really ill, we started to visit um, churches. And then when we were in Great Ormond Street for a six months or more, I went down to their chapel there, which is a beautiful chapel three or four times a day and prayed for my son and prayed for my family. I was just expressing myself and sitting there sometimes, just sitting there hoping for a miracle. The miracle didn't come and eventually he had to have lung transplants. And he was perfect for about six months and then his body started to reject the lungs because of his other conditions. And he died in our living room. And my eldest son drove all the way up from Kettering to see him die. And he arrived there just as he was dying and I asked him to turn the oxygen off. 
And for some reason that affected him and he thought that he'd actually made, killed his brother. My eldest son, when he was 40, committed suicide with this in his mind that he had killed his brother. And I went completely to pieces. And my wife, uh, at about the same time, a little a couple of years later perhaps, decided that she was leaving me for another man, a man who, who I knew. And she moved out. I had to go and see the doctor about several things and one of them was uh, led to a diagnosis of prostate cancer. During this time with my wife, I had a blazing row with her and I went home and I was suicidal. I'll put it no other way, I was intent on finding a way of killing myself. And while I was sat there on my drive in my car, there was a tap on my window and it was a neighbour. And he'd seen me there and he stopped to speak to me and he, he said, are you all right, Dave? And, and obviously I wasn't when we chatted. And a friend who used to use this church asked me to do an Alpha course. I really understood where I was. I wasn't blaming God for anything. I, I realised that these things happen. And I've got stronger and stronger in my belief. I've been baptised. But I sense now that I've got something to do for God. I've got a purpose, if you like, to go out and spread the word. I know it wasn't God's fault. None of this was God's fault. It's one of these things that families are put through. Currently, I'm a, a local councillor in Hales Owen, and I, everybody on the council knows that I am a committed Christian. But it's a nice opportunity for me as an inroad, and I want to do more for Life Central Church, which is my church. At present time, I'm working um, at the Brickhouse Church, Life Central Rowley Regis, I think we're going to call it. Uh, and I'm helping there as part of the team, but I want to do more. I need to tell more and more people about Jesus. I want to go out and I want to show them the way to God. Wow, what a story. I know none of this was God's fault. I don't blame God. What an incredible two statements to make. But I'm under no illusions, you know. Um, you might be thinking, how could David say that? You know, how, could he, how could he even verbalise that and, and believe that? But, and I'm sure it wasn't an overnight process for him. But I do know that, that our understanding changes when our perspective changes. And I just want to say to you this morning, don't be sitting there measuring your life experience against that video. Because that will shut you down from responding to God this morning. Pain is pain. And God is as interested in meeting David where he was as he's interested in meeting you where you are this morning. Because when we only look at our lives through a human perspective, that perspective often can lead us to doubt. And it leads us to ask the questions about the fairness of life and the fairness of God and and about actually how life really gives us little rewards, really. And these questions aren't just academic ones. 
because questions like these have the potential to affect our whole entire relationship with God. And each of us has to deal with unfair situations and each of us has to deal with unfair people. And that unfairness can lead us to doubt the value of living faithfully for this God that we say we believe in. So what do you think about your life this morning? Have things happened to you or are they happening to you right now where you would just say, this just isn't fair? This just isn't fair. And like David, we all have scars. We all have scars. And when we're confronted sometimes with things that confound us and um, seem really unfair to us in our life, we can get angry or sad or bewildered. And then these emotions start to seep into every area and corner of our lives. And that is the danger of feelings of unfairness. We are human. We cannot stem them. They will come out somewhere. With someone at some time. Do you know what? But this morning, I thank Jesus for this morning because we have an opportunity this morning to make a decision to reverse that process. To love like Jesus no matter what. To love like Jesus no matter what. And I'm saying invite the band to come back. Because I feel that God wants to do some incredible things this morning. And you may be sitting here and are you wondering... I want to say to you that are wondering this morning, hold on. You might be wrestling. Don't let go. Because God isn't going to let go of you. Are you waiting? Are you in that waiting process? I want to say to you this morning, remember what God has done. Go back to who you know God is. Accept where you are. Be honest with how you feel about that with God. Are you worshipping? I want to say to you, trust what God is going to do. Trust what God is going to do. In faith, leave it up to God. And that's not a blasé statement. Part of that is the faith that God will make things right. And I want to put a caveat on that for us this morning. Because maybe God will change the situation. Maybe God will deal with that person. Maybe God will exonerate you in the eyes of the people. Maybe there's something that's gone on and it's such an unfairness and an injustice and you don't know how you've got there, but it's no fault of yours. Maybe God will bring truth into that situation and exonerate you. Maybe God will provide a way out or maybe God will simply give you the strength and patience to endure. Like Habakkuk, the frustrated man who channeled that frustration into prayer and then turned that prayer into praise. You read the book, you can follow his journey and it's no different for him than it is for us this morning. A.W. Tozer said this, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me. What I believe about God is the most important thing about me. So what do you believe about God right now this morning? What do you believe about God right now this morning? And I want to invite you 
as we sing together to respond. There are four tables around the room, two at the back and two here. And on them you will find these cards, wondering, waiting, worshipping. And what I want you to do is to be brave and be courageous and come out, pick up a card that says where you are this morning in your life circumstances, in your season, and give it to a member of the ministry team and let them pray for you. You don't have to explain anything. You don't have to say anything. Just give them the card. They will know exactly how to pray into your situation. So whether you're a frustrated person this morning, whether you need to get in a position where you can actually pray about that, or whether you need some fuel on the fire to keep you worshipping and keep you going, please respond to God this morning. Because when life seems unfair, our God is good.